everybody. Welcome to No Railings. It's our first bonus episode. Blah, 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 blah. Air, air horn, air horn. Blah. <laughs> um, we... Oh, man. Now we got to get a soundboard. We got to put an air horn on it. That's going to be the only thing on the buttons. <laughs> Do, sorry. Wait. There are more sounds you would put on a soundboard? No, that's what I'm saying. Every single button would be. Oh, the air horn. horn. Yes. Um, Maybe in different pitches we could play it like a piano. <laughs> uh, we wanted to do a very small, very cute little bonus episode where we have a state of the pod address, talk about where we're at, what we're doing, what's going on, and also fun topics. So to decide what topic umbrella to talk about rather than focusing on a movie... I just started listing random things in our Discord chat until Ty said, ah, yes, that. And we decided on wildlife management as our weird little bonus mm-hmm. episode topic. Yeah, I think what's interesting, so like you said that and I immediately thought of a story that I've actually kind of been following mm. in 2021. It's it's been relevant <laughs> in my life. <laughs> Wonderful. So Molly, yes. Did you know that the west coast of the contiguous United States, but also possibly, probably, Canada, is currently experiencing a bird pandemic? No, I was too busy worrying about the human one. Please elaborate. In November. I moved to the city of Seattle, like in the city, um, from one of its suburbs, uh, Redmond, if you care, but that's, that's what I did in November. That was my month. Um, and now I'm surrounded by bird feeders, which has actually been kind of interesting because where I had lived was pretty densely forested. Like I actually looked out over a ravine with woods in it. It wasn't uncommon to see coyotes, deer, rabbits, things like that, like in town. And then if you go east 10 minutes, now you start running into potentially bears, like maybe with your car, actually, because animals, woods, they go together. But I didn't see a lot of birds in people's yards or at bird feeders. And I have to assume that was probably because there was other things for them to do. But then I moved into the city and I started seeing lots of birds at bird feeders to the point where actually I have watched my neighbor more than once have extended conversations with seagulls. And I love it. Amazing. Sorry, um, extended conversations with seagulls or about seagulls? Yes. Yeah, so it, no, with seagulls, it'll, oh. she'll, she'll go out to feed the birds. And, uh, if, a seagull's giving a guff or catching an attitude, she'll just, she'll give them the what for. But uh, what sucks about this is that since November 1st, in my reading, the CDC, the Audubon Society, the Department of Fish and Wildlife, other, other places like that have been advising that all bird feeders and bird baths either be brought in completely or washed every single day with a bleach solution to completely kill the salmonella bacteria that flocks have been spreading. Um, huh. One of my neighborhood seems to be doing that. And I didn't want to be the person who came in and was like, excuse me, you've never met me before, but um, I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong. <laughs> oh, but that's uh, a, that is a big mood though. Whenever you see like somebody doing a thing outside and you're like, please don't. <laughs> Please don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
But um, but yeah, so there's like a little bit of a bird pandemic. Um, it's been spreading among songbirds on the West Coast, and there have been most of the cases have been in Washington and Oregon. Um, it, there's a bit in California, but um, it's actually spread to a couple of humans. There have been some hospitalizations because of this. Wow, is it killing birds or is it like it is killing birds? <gasps> it is killing up birds like a lot, and, and oh, no. we'll get into this a little bit. So, okay, sorry. Um. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> Too concerned um, about birds. I know. I mean, they're... <laughs> you sit in a chair in the morning and you look outside and there's birds. Sorry. I sit in a chair in the morning and I look outside and there's birds. And I'm like, okay, it's going to be okay. And that's how I spend my mornings. <laughs> <laughs> so I was very upset to learn that they were like dying in huge numbers. <laughs> Apparently it's not that uncommon. Sure. Things like this will happen every so often. It's a matter of overpopulation. But big question, how did this happen? How did this come to pass? Um, according to a, an article I read on kankx.org, the abundance of finches here this year, talking about Seattle, is apparently caused by a shortage of seeds in the boreal forest of Canada. That's led oh. to the spread of salmonella and to record numbers of people finding and reporting dead birds beneath their feeders. Hmm. Salmonella is spread among birds when they flock together in large numbers. They come into contact with droppings or seed casings that have been infected by sick birds, and then they clean themselves, getting into their system, and then they go and they continue to be social with other birds. Um, they don't know how to social distance. <laughs> um, pine siskins especially are susceptible to this method of infection because that's a very social species and will flock really tightly to small areas like feeders or bird baths. Salmonellosis can cause an infected bird to become lethargic and slow, making them a lot easier to approach. So more people are bringing them in to rescues this year, in addition to reporting, you know, honestly, kind of flocks of dead birds underneath their feeders. A quote from Dr. Nikki Rosenhagen from the Paws Wildlife Center in Linwood, Washington. She says, I just looked at the numbers this morning, beginning November 1st until today, which was February 10th. Uh, we've had 137 pine siskins come in the door. Uh, compared to that exact time frame last year, from 2019 to 2020, she says they had 13. Wow. Now, not every single one of the 137 was salmonellosis, but the vast majority were. Hmm. And unfortunately, because infected birds are so much easier to catch, predators like cats and dogs and raccoons can also have a lot better access to... I'm sorry, you said Reddit birds. <laughs> what has Reddit done now? <laughs> uh, sorry. <gasps> okay. This is no uh, shade on Reddit, I promise. I just le I just legitimately thought like sometimes Reddit has campaigns <laughs> that take off for strange reasons. And I was like, is there a Reddit campaign right now where they're like, go touch a bird? Anyway, go touch a bird. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard of any bird touching Reddit campaigns in the in the three articles that I read about this uh, today. But there but there are predators that are hunting the birds, which there is are far more important. That are hunting the birds. <laughs> so neighborhood cats are more likely to get in touch or in contact with uh, with infected birds, and they're also at risk of infection because it's a bacteria. It will just spread. It's not limited. Right. Gets the cats. Cats touch the people. Exactly. So there, like I said, there have been, I'm going to see, I have these stats here. There have been 19 illnesses reported, eight hospitalizations, zero deaths. Hmm. Um, but it's been, it's spread over about eight states. 
And those um, those hospitalizations are they tied to birds or is that like including you ate the the sprouts that had the salmonella? Well, so this was you know, um this was a handful of stats that I found on the CDC's page about the salmonellosis outbreak um mm. with birds specifically uh, cool. th- talking about this this uh, phenomenon this year. Now another source that I couldn't find again did basically say you know. This sort of outbreak will actually happen every so often, like every couple of years. It's a matter of overpopulation. It's a matter of, you know, factors just kind of not playing well. But yeah, what's interesting, so on April 1st, the bird feeder notice was more or less taken down by the CDC and the Audubon Society. Um, Apparently around that time is when um, bird behavior changes to stop flocking around feeders so much now that I guess mating season has begun. I don't know too much about that, but that's when um, they kind of cut it off. Um, they said that there are still infections being discovered, uh, but at a much lower rate of transmission hmm. because the behaviors have changed. It's not actually gone. It hasn't been cured or solved. It's just sort of <laughs> now they are more likely to social distance. <laughs> Now that it's springtime. So, um, yeah, like I said, according to the CDC page, I found uh, this investigation status is still active. Um, and I, I'd be interested to see when that officially ends and becomes inactive. Uh, but that's that's happening now in a backyard near some of you, if you're from Washington or Oregon or Northern California. <laughs> that's and honestly, great PSA. I don't know how many of our listeners have bird feeders but if you mm-hmm. or a loved one has a bird feeder and you happen to be on that coast this coast i'm here too i don't know why i said that coast mm-hmm. <laughs> be mindful uh, yeah keep it check, keep it check it out so that's 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 that about the uh that's that about the bird pandemic sensationally named bird demic here <laughs> but i know bird it is a bad movie i have watched it mm it, great time, bad movie. Highly recommend. Speaking of, here's like an interstitial between the facts PSA. We have a Gmail and we've already actually been getting suggestions for movies to add to our watch list. Granted, not on the Gmail yeah. from friends and family who listen to the pod just <laughs> messaging me on Facebook. But if you have something you want us to watch, if you have things that you think that we did wrong and you want to correct us, if you want to say that you love us very much, you can message us on our Gmail, norailings at gmail.com. It's also on our website, norailingspodcast.com. Uh, and yeah, with that segue, um, I did not have anything in mind to discuss wildlife management. I was just saying words and seeing what stuck. Um, so for... My... I love being the driver of our fates. <laughs> uh, so for my uh, first go, my first thought was immediately uh, I should message friend in real life slash friend of the pod, Chris, and be like, hey, what is a fun wildlife management story you know? Um, and this is totally unrelated to human health, but I have to tell you about it because it's delightful. There is a snail. That is extinct in the wild, which is sad. Mm-hmm. But there is a robust mm-hmm. effort to bring it back. 
It is called uh-huh. the Partula snail. Um, and it has a very, very tiny wildlife preserve. It is 20 by 20 meters, which is about 66 by 66 what? feet. And, like, there are zoos that are doing breeding programs and stuff, which are obviously great and doing a lot of cool stuff. But, like, they need a, a place to live, like, in the wild, too. And so they have this tiny uh-huh. little reserve. And if I'm reading it correctly, this tiny reserve has tiny defenses. Like, literal fences what? and, like, stuff like that to keep out its big invasive predator, which is another snail that eats it. And also, like, other predators that might come up by and bother it. Oh, my God. I know. Tiny little snail fence. <laughs> delightful, right? Like, just... It's t- and then he sent me a picture holding one, and it's a wee little snail. It's, like, the size of, like, probably... I mean, you can't see my thumb. I'm staring at my own thumb. But, you know, the thumb of your average five foot four person. But, um, anyway, that's not human health related. tiny parks are truly one of the great joys. I love... I love tiny things. I mean, mini Just... tacos. Thank you. Tiny snails. Mm-hmm. I love it. Little tiny bats. Mm-hmm. Thank you. But let's talk human health and wildlife management. Well, let's talk human health, Molly. Because I'd love to talk human health. So I think a lot of people are on board for preserving wildlife because wildlife is cool and it's neat and we should preserve it because we love it. But there is a legitimate mm-hmm. question of like, why? Besides, I like giraffes, you know? What are the Mm -hmm. real advantages to wildlife management? So, Mm -hmm. I wanted to try to find some science about that. And I happened to find a review article. And these are very important types of scientific articles that look at a scientific topic by analyzing and synthesize the research that has already been done about it. So, this article didn't do any, like experiments or like any sort of like analysis Mm -hmm. of new data what they did was they looked at data that Mm -hmm. already exists and talked about it so Mm -hmm. article is called conservation of biodiversity as a strategy for improving human health and well-being overall here's what i gathered from this article in general more biodiversity more different types of species equals good yay human health better hooray However, that's not always the case, and we can't really be too sure of any sweeping generalizations without doing more extensive and thorough research and intervention strategies, which is like responses to these studies and stuff like that. They can't be one size fits all because mm-hmm. each disease, each person, each uh-huh. place is too different for these big blanket approaches. Although, of course, they can have good guiding principles and um, good starting points for applications elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So, like, standards of practice, not standard practices. Yeah, there you go. So why is there this confusion? There's a lot of reasons. The study talks a lot about vector-borne diseases, which are diseases passed to humans via contact with a vector. Mosquitoes or ticks are, like, the most common. Pod favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, the relationships between humans and animals and vectors is super complex to begin with. Like, think about it. There are some animals that eat vectors. There are some animals that are really good hosts for vectors. There are some animals that are really bad hosts for vectors. There are some ways that we interact with animals that's different from animal to animal. Some of them we kill and eat. Some of them we just kill. Some of them we don't kill. Some of them we bring into our home. Like, the the relationships are complicated. And 
for very specific diseases and very specific vectors, we can kind of know how those are. But then, of course, even culturally, there are differences in the way that different animals are treated, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's one big problem. Another is studying the effects can be challenging because some of the diseases just don't occur at a high enough frequency to be statistically significant. Um, and you can kind of really only get a snapshot of a specific disease in a specific time in a specific place. So let's say your test subject has seasonal variability, like a tick, right? Ticks have a seasonal life cycle. Uh, your data is going to mm-hmm. vary from season to season. And studies also can have issues accounting for confounding variables, which are variables that mm-hmm. affect your study results without being, like, captured within your study. Sure. The study I read gives an example of a couple of hantavirus studies. So hantavirus is found in mm-hmm. rodents, and some studies mm-hmm. have found that high numbers of different types of rodents decreases disease risk within the rodents themselves. This, according to the studies could be related to increased competition, increased predation of the rodents, less contact between the rodents when there are more of them. Um, Mm -hmm. But there are also differences in the habitats between these studies, and those Mm -hmm. can definitely affect host and their behavior. So in this case, the Mm -hmm. habitats is the confounder when you're looking at all of these studies together. Sure. Another problem, because there are many, It could just be so, so, so hard, as I said earlier, to study complex relationships. Trying to talk about human behavior on its own is hard enough. Now you're wrapping up a relationship that a human has with the environment that might change over time. And that relationship Mm -hmm. with that disease might change over time. And that relationship, you know, the, uh, and that, like, effects that the humans have within the environment the environment might have different effects. It's all very confusing and complicated. Sure. And lastly, a lot of this stuff is just new, you know? I mean, conservation, you know, as a field of study is pretty new in, in terms of the grand scheme of things. And... Human relationships with their environments is also kind of a shockingly new field of study outside of, you know, how does this pollutant affect you? But, like, what does it mean? I mean, up until, like, last year, we all agreed that if we just put it in the ocean, it was gone forever. (laughs) Yeah, well, and it's even more complicated than that. Like, what, you know, you're hearing kind of these feel-good news articles about, like, study has shown that... Being in trees reduces cortisol levels, and studies have shown that this amount of time mm-hmm. walking can help do add this many years to your life, and all of these. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is all just new information, right? Like, it's hard to kind of make really quick, really smart cost-benefit analyses when you simply don't know all the costs and benefits. Like, sure. Conservation of lands and animals can lead to increased ecosystem services, which is the benefits people get from the environment, their food, carbon capture by trees, mental health improvements. But, I mean, on the same vein, it can also reduce food that would be obtained by farming and hunting. And it can also cause economic stress on people who don't have the option to you know, go somewhere else where there's cheaper land or whatever. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
literal cost benefits are kind of hard to do. So mm-hmm. seems like so far conservation equals good for more reasons than just we like animals. But truly, it's a very new and interesting field with a lot of new and interesting fun data to be gained. So conservation is a baby science, and we can't even necessarily say what we expect it to tell us. I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't say conservation. I would be more microscopic than that. It's conservation and its effects on people. Like, I think that's... And its effects on people is a baby science. I'm sure there's a ton of studies out there. I'm not a conservation scientist. I'm sure there are a ton of studies Mm -hmm. out there that are like, Hey, guess what, guys? If we provide more land to endangered animals, endangered animals do better. Like, that seems pretty... I feel safe making that assumption. Maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Um, But how these siloed, quote-unquote, environment-only things Mm -hmm. can affect the people, that's, that's still emerging and becoming new and fun and interesting. Well, cool. Yeah, that's a really interesting. That's a really interesting point. Um, so I guess we'll move on to uh, administrative business. We, like all podcasts, thrive on your generous donations of reviews on Apple Podcasts. We don't have a Patreon, so please show your support by donating five star reviews <laughs> on <laughs> your podcatcher of choice. Also, I'm really five, bad at Twitter. Five stars and thirty seconds of your time. Yes. Uh, right now, our socials are mostly just like, new episode, new episode. But I'm learning how to do cool things that aren't just that. So follow to go join me on a journey of learning social media. <laughs> I posted really hot funny takes. GIFs of... Yeah, we're doing hot takes. I posted funny love GIFs of the monsters from The Descent doing each other's nails. Oh, I love that one. That's a classic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, And big news on the research front, as you know, I am always like, mer, 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 if only we had access to this full study. And I used to have access to studies when I was in university. Guess who got into grad school? It's me. (laughs) I'm going to leverage that. So you could best bet that if we do have the time and energy and interest for season two, it's about to get hella scientific up in here. All of the research studies. No more just reading so abstracts many and praying. Polysyllabic words. Hmm? <laughs> We're going to use so many polysyllabic words. Well, I I hope not, actually. I hope that we look at all these science articles Mm-mm. and say, boy, that's too many polysyllabic Mm-mm. words. We should make that fewer because we're talking about something real dumb and they're talking about something real smart. <laughs> can't can't stop me. They're gonna it's they're not gonna be appropriate for the sentence, but <laughs> Well, we'll fit him in. Don't, don't, don't underestimate me. <laughs> it's, it's going to be a lot of me being like, ah, yes, this very interesting and important study about hantavirus populations in a very specific Amazonian <laughs> community. But hear me out. What if I found a way to talk about birdemic? Actually, hantavirus is a bad example for birdemic. What's like a, a rodent-based horror movie? Rodent-based horror movie? Oh, oh, God. I could talk about rodent-based diseases for days days and yet i won't let you well i, I have to we continue only, the trend of making hours. you go yuck ew, icky so 
I do love, well, do I love that? <laughs> who's, to, who's really to say? Um, our next episode, our next full episode is going to come out on Molly. Um. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the first of June. There it is. Um, my phone is dying. Great. So I'm going to, we got to sign off. Um, follow us on socials. Hug your local uh, bird. Don't, Don't hug, hug anything your local bird. Right now. I was trying to do a PSA. I panicked. Duh. Follow us on socials. <laughs> Check your bird feeders. Think hard about science and how complex it is. Watch a dumb movie and talk about it with a friend. We love you very much. We love you. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>